There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Sports World's Premier League Preview Podcast. I'm Pascal Lemaire and I'm here with Barney Corkill to look ahead to match day 13 as top flight action returns after the international break. We're almost a third of the way through the season now and at the top it's Manchester City and Arsenal still level there on 26 points. Just one further back of the Wiley Foxes, Leicester City, who are in fine form and could incredibly go top this weekend. The pick of the games is probably the Saturday evening contest between City and Liverpool, but we start with the other Manchester club as United travel to Vicarage Road to face Watford on Saturday lunchtime. Barnes has start with United sitting fourth after their 2-0 win over West Brom. Yeah, it was a good win for United. It wasn't the easiest game for them, especially with you know all the talk about their attack and how they're misfiring a bit at the moment. The crowd, you could tell the, they were getting a bit restless, but it was always the type of game they're going to have to be very patient in, you know, West Brom, they set out just to defend and defend and defend and maybe catch them on the break, which they almost did, but United eventually broke them down. You always thought that they would, and it took a very good goal from Lingard to open the score and fantastic finish from such a young player to show composure, to control the ball, and just guide it into the bottom corner. Brilliant one. And they didn't get their second goal until late on. McCauley conceding the penalty, Matter sticking it away. Obviously, McCauley got sent off after that, so West Brom ended the game with 10 men, but... It was, a, it was a stubborn performance from West Brom. United had to be patient, but at the end of the day, West Brom never really looked like they were going to win it. They didn't have a single shot on target, so it was a fairly comfortable win for United in the end, but they had to work hard for it. It was an important one as well, particularly considering the other results that happened that weekend. You know, City and Arsenal both drew. All the teams around United in the table uh, dropped points apart from Leicester, really. Tottenham dropped points, West Ham dropped points further down the table. Liverpool and Chelsea both lost again, so a very good weekend for United and a very good win over West Brom. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned Lingard's goal there. He obviously got the uh, England call up on the back of that, and certainly maybe a bit too soon for that. But given you know England had a lot of injuries recently, and um, you know fair play to him for getting the call up. And you know Smalling, he missed the game against France, the second friendly, and he's now doubt for this game, which would be a real blow if Smalling misses this game because he's been so key to their defence this season. You know United they've got the best defence in the league uh, this year. They're not conceding five games. It's like five hundred fifty-five minutes since they conceded a goal in any competition. I think it's the best run since they had a six-game streak between 2004-2005 and 2005-2006. So defensively, they're so sound at the moment. But Smalling, if, if he's missing, that would be such a blow to him because he's been one of the standout defenders this season. And uh, Martial as well, he left Wembley on crutches uh, from the France game. And that would be a big, big blow because you know he's come in, he's done really well for them. And certainly, even for France in that friendly there, he really impressed me You know, on the ball. He looked very classy. And apart from maybe Pogba, he was probably France's best player in that game. So really, really impressive. But if both of those have to miss this one, it'd be a real blow for United and... Like you say, they're looking pretty good in the table now with um, with those sides dropping points. But if the, if those two miss this one, it could be a big blow for them. Yeah, Smalling obviously a huge miss to the defence, but I think Martial could be an even bigger blow if if um, he is out for the, a while because they haven't got too many options in attack. They've got players coming back to fitness in defence, but in attack they've only got Wayne Rooney. We know how he's misfiring a bit in the Premier League so far this season. Obviously scored for England with a, a good volley at the back post against France, but for Manchester United it just hasn't really been happening happening for him so far this season. Wilson's probably the only other striker in the in the squad. I suppose he could play Memphis to pie up there, but it hasn't really happened for him. Now I mentioned the crowd getting frustrated with their lack of attacking football. They're willing, urging the team on to attack, and of course United want to attack, but 
it's just not easy for them at the moment. They failed to score on three of their last five Premier League games. You know, Rooney was a bit better for England um, when he was playing out wide, so whether Van Gaal chooses to play him there, again, it will probably be determined by how serious the injury to Martial is, because Martial looked right for France. He didn't do too much against a, a good England defence, but he did look right, and he's he certainly looked right since coming in for United as well. So there are concerns up front for United, but they'll look at this upcoming run and think that they've got a chance to really put pressure on United and Ars- uh, on City and Arsenal. Sorry, they're only two points behind at the moment. They've got a couple of tough fixtures after this one against Leicester and West Ham, which they're not going to be easy, but at the same time, they're not two of the big boys exactly. And then after after that, they've got Bournemouth, uh, they've got Norwich after that, and then Stoke, who they fancy their chances against as well. So they've got a, a fairly kind run coming up, but they'll expect to get quite a few points of the board and keep the pressure on the teams above them. Yeah, definitely. I think United, when they look at that run, they might think there's a real chance here, considering they're only two points, uh, you know, behind the leaders. Maybe you know, being top, you know, come Christmas time, come the turn of year, there's a real chance of that for them. And uh, they'll go to Watford here. You know, they'll, they'll be favourites going into the game for sure. Because Watford last time out, uh, they had their two-game winning streak ended at Leicester. You know, they had two impressive two-nil wins before that game. But you know, going to Leicester, you know, the form Leicester in at the moment doing so so well up there. And you know, the first half it was a fairly cagey game. You know, Leicester's games usually contain a lot of goals, but Watford, you know. It, they're, the, they're the opposite they don't usually have many goals in their games and certainly the first half there wasn't too much in it second half then you know it was the sort of Aurelio Gomez horror show wasn't it you know he's been a very good keeper for them so far this season but you know he let Kante's you know that that one dribble across the line terrible piece of goal he then concedes the penalty uh, which Vardy stuck away you know Watford did fight back they got their penalty which uh, Troy Deeney got you know get, getting his uh, another goal for him this season but in the end, you know, they didn't quite have enough against the Leicester side that you have to say, full of confidence. And it's not the worst defeat for Watford that leaves them 11th in the table. But I think certainly after what was a fairly solid first half showing to concede the goals they did, which were largely, you know, Gomez's fault, was a disappointment. Yeah, an extra disappointment as well, considering how well they've defended for most of the season. They'd only conceded 10 goals going into that match. So to give away two goals like that, as you mentioned, Gomez has been fantastic for Watford since joining them. But obviously, he had a bit of a reputation for Tottenham for letting a few blunders in. So they'll be hoping that that doesn't affect him too much because it did seem to do it when he, it did seem to affect him when he made blunders at Tottenham. But as you mentioned, eight points off the drop zone, 11th place. They've got to be happy with that after 12 games in the season. They're looking, looking strong. They're looking like they are capable. Well, they've got the tools to stay up obviously Icarlo hit the post in that Leicester game as well linking up with Dini and those two we've mentioned them a lot already this season could prove to be vital could prove to be the difference between them staying up and going down the concern is that they've lost two of their last three at home without scoring both against Palace and Arsenal which are tricky games again this is another tricky match so they haven't had the easiest run at home but home form is where you'd expect the majority of the points for a relegation threatened team to come after this game, though, they do have a, a decent run of fixtures. Got Aston Villa away, Norwich at home, and then Sunderland away. So they'll fancy a chance of picking some more points up. This one, it's going to be tough to see them getting any much out of the game. But the next three coming up, they'll fancy a chance of getting perhaps six, seven points from them and staying fa- fairly comfortably clear of the drop zone. Yeah. So, what's your prediction for this game then? Yeah, as I say, it's, it's tough to see what for getting too much out of it. I don't see too many goals because. As we know, United have had their struggles up front. Watford generally tight at the back, but I can see United running out 1-0 winners here. 1-0, yeah. I fancy United to keep a clean sheet as well, but I think they might just get two, so I'm going to go for a 2-0 away win. So, both picking United to win this one. OK, on to the 3pm, and we start at Stamford Bridge, where struggling Chelsea host Norwich. Pascal, we've got to start with the hosts here. Mourinho's still in the job, but it's now seven defeats from their 12 league games this season. Yeah, it's been a shocking title defence, hasn't it? We've talked about it so many times. And those seven defeats, that's more than Mourinho's you know, ever lost in a single league campaign before. So 
It's been disastrous so far. Another defeat. That's now three late games in a row they've lost. First time since October 1999 that's happened. So, so really, really bad there, you know, the results. But in terms of the performance against Stoke, it was much better. You know, the other sort of six games they'd lost this season, they looked completely below par. But against Stoke, they were the better team for the most part. You know, they had plenty of chances, especially in the first half. You know, they hit the post. Butland made some really key saves as well, but they couldn't quite find the goal. And then... Uh, Arnautovic got did get the goal for Stoke very you know acrobatic finish good goal from him and you know that was all that Stoke needed in the end so you know for Chelsea to lose like that so disappointing you know in terms of the table it leaves them 16th sitting there so you know really really you know their, their title defence has been absolutely shocking but if there was a positive it was the performance that was better and now they've had the international break you know two weeks to sort of uh, reflect on that performance and hopefully improve on it but you know Azard could be a doubt for this game he's, he's carrying a knock so if he's missing that would be a blow but the performance was better, but you know it's another defeat for Mourinho, and you know they certainly this game against Norwich they have to win this because if they don't, you know surely maybe he'll have to go. Yeah, I mean there's been a lot made of Mourinho's moaning so far this season. Obviously he wasn't in the stadium for the match um, last time out because he was back. He was serving his one-game stadium ban, but for once he could bemoan some pretty bad luck for Chelsea. The ball just would not go in for them. They, Last season they would have comfortably won that match. They would have scored a few goals, but this this season is just not going their way. It's actually the first time they failed to score in the league since a three 0 defeat to City on the second weekend of the season. So they are generally scoring goals. We talked about their defensive record. That's what's been letting them down so far this season. But as you mentioned, it is such a terrible start to the season. Three points off the relegation zone now, which is it's be slightly worrying after twelve games of the season if you're a Chelsea fan. We're still talking about them as potential top four contenders, but. You know the 15 points adrift of the top the top two now Manchester City and uh, Arsenal, and they're 13 points adrift of the top four. So they've got a long way to go to even get Champions League football next season. For them to miss out on Champions League football would be absolutely disastrous. I wouldn't be surprised to see some pretty heavy investment made in January to make sure they get that. But they need a big run of form. They need to get some wins on the board. Before that Stoke match, you couldn't really see it coming. But as you mentioned, the performance against Stoke was a lot better, and they'll be a, they'll be much more confident going into this game, despite losing against Stoke, than they perhaps were going into that Stoke game. So there are positives for them, but they need those results on the ball quickly. They need to reignite their season soon, otherwise it is just going to peter out. And at the moment, if they don't get a few wins before Christmas, it's very hard to see them even getting the top four or even Europa League football, to be honest. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. Yeah, and you look at just the table, you see City at the top there with plus 17 goal difference, Chelsea at minus seven with 16 goals scored, 23 conceded. That's, you know, 24 goals worse than City's, which is just incredible for a, you know, a side that won the league last season. That's the same, exactly the same sort of for and against total as Norwich, who they play here. And, you know, that's the team that won the Championship playoffs last year and the team that won the Premier League. It's incredible that they are, you know, have exactly the same record this season. So, so bad from Chelsea. And like you said there, uh, there could be, you know, Abramovich could splash the cash in January. And I saw a report the other day linking them with maybe going in for Cristiano Ronaldo because there's, you know, there's always that lip, those, there's the odd report that he might be a bit unhappy at Real Madrid. And uh, the report said that, you know, he'd be willing to send Azar, Oscar, and Matic the other way to get Ronaldo and obviously then build the team around him because I certainly think it could be a, a decent move for them because the way, you know, so many of their players have dropped off this season. Uh, Costa doesn't look like he can lead the line. Hazard looks a shadow of the player that won uh, Player of the Year last season. So if they were to make something like that happen, you know, make a huge player, say like a Ronaldo, come in and try and build a team around him, it could work. But like you say, if they don't have a, a good run between now and, say, the new year, they're, they're, even their chance of finishing in the top four might be over by, you know, 2016. So a massive, massive sort of couple of months coming up for the club now. Yeah, and. 
in this this weekend they're coming up against the Norwich side who will be more confident themselves than they were going into the last match. Finally ended a four game losing streak, a six game winless streak against Swansea. A good win. We know Swansea aren't in the best form themselves, but they're still a good team. It was still a good result for them. One 0 clean sheet at home, their first clean sheet in the league that so far this season, which was a big uh, monkey off Alex Neal's back as defensively they haven't been great they've obviously conceded six goals against Newcastle they have one of the worst records in the league so to get that clean sheet against a Swansea team who have got a lot of attacking threats even though you know the likes of Gomez are struggling at the moment have struggled since August they do still have threats so to have kept that clean sheet is a big thing for them and at least Hogs Chelsea obviously another three points in the relegation battle they're now five uh, four point yeah four points clear of the bottom three it is um, one point clear of Chelsea in the table which <laughs> they would have taken if you offered them at the start of the season because they would have thought they'd be a bit higher up but as you say four points they're, they're looking like a more solid team than the others down there the likes of Bournemouth Sunderland Aston Villa Newcastle they do look a bit more solid than them and from the first 12 games of the season if I was to hazard a guess at which of those five would stay up Norwich would probably be my first choice out of them they've you know they've they've had a bad run of results but against Manchester City before uh, the game against Swansea they they weren't too bad they only narrowly lost it in in that game so there are positive signs for Alex Neil going forward and I, I don't think I'd be too displeased with where side are after 15, uh, 12 games of the season yeah I would counter that though by saying that you know you probably say that of their sort of 12 games so far that the bulk of them have been against sides who they might fancy getting something against just when you look at their sort of run of fixtures coming up between now and up to Boxing Day, you know Chelsea away here is a, is a difficult game. Then they, they host Arsenal, go to Watford, and we know that Watford have been a fairly solid team all season. And they host Everton, go to United, go to Spurs in their sort of next games up until Boxing Day. It's a really, really tough run of form for them. And they certainly, like I said, they're not. There are four points above the bottom of three at the moment. But if they go on a really terrible run here and say lose maybe five of those next seven games, then they could be down in the bottom of three, maybe even bottom come you know Christmas New Year and. You know, the record doesn't read very well for teams that are bottom you know, halfway through the season. So it's a big, big uh, period coming up for Norwich. And I mean, there's been, they've been linked with strikers quite quite a lot at the moment. I've seen them linked with Dwight Gale. And I think that's certainly an area they need to address. They haven't really found a number one striker this year. You know, Jerome's played up there. You know, they've got Lewis Graben, who's not really been playing. Then Umbakani's come on and looked quite bright. He's played a part in three of the last five goals. So he has been, you know, he sort of assumed that number one striker's role ahead of uh, Cameron Jerome but I think someone like Dwight Gale could work for them because he's a poacher you know they've got a lot of uh, creative players the likes of you know Hulahun in there who will create chances and maybe just someone like that who's a bit more you know alive in, in the penalty box might work for them because at the moment they don't really have that kind of player you know you would say Gary Hooper was that sort of player but it hasn't worked out for him there he's been loaned to Sheffield Wednesday so it looks like a striker is going to be the number one you know priority in uh, January it'd be interesting to see who they try and get so a struggling attack versus a struggling defence which way do you see this one going uh, yeah, I'm definitely back in Chelsea here. I think just the two weeks off, you know, the performance was a lot better against Stoke, like we said, and I certainly think that I mean, it would be incredible if Norwich do get anything at all from this game. And I mean, I'm not expecting Chelsea to put you know five or six past them, but I think it'll be fairly comfortable to go for a three nil home win. Yeah, I, I agree with the home win. I said in the last uh, set we set of recordings we did that I was done back in Chelsea, but. I can't really see them not winning this one. The performance, as we mentioned, against Stoke was much improved. And if they put in another display, they're bound to score. They were very unlucky not to score last time out. So I think I'm going to go for a comfortable Chelsea win as well. I'm going to go for 2-0. So we're both going for fairly comfortable Chelsea victories here. Over to Goodison Park, where Everton are hosting the league's bottom side, Aston Villa. Barnes, let's start with Villa. Last time out, Remy Gard's first game in charge. And he got a 0-0 draw with the league leaders. Yeah, fantastic result to start off with. We said before the game that anything they could get from that match... Would be a bonus. It's about as hard as you could wish for as a first game in charge. But 
just the difference between that and the Tim Sherwood era when they lost seven in a row going into that match was was pretty plain to see. They did ride their luck at times. Man City on another day probably would have run out two three nil winners in that game. They uh, dominated the match really. They, they, Kevin De Bruyne missed that sitter from a couple of yards out when he tried the fancy flick to finish it off when he could have just finished it pretty comfortably. Uh, Fernando hit the bar late on from close range when, again, he should have scored. Uh, Delph came dangerously close to scoring on his return to Villa Park when, on two occasions, there was one that one which just rolled agonisingly wide of the post and the one uh, towards the end where Guzan just clawed it away from his head at the back post. So Villa, they did, they did need to ride their luck at times, but defensively they've been pretty poor all season and to keep a clean sheet against the league leaders is a fantastic achievement for them. Still bottom of the league, still uh, five points from safety, so they're, they're by no means out of danger yet, but the early signs are certainly positive for Mamigard. He seems to have sorted them out. They, they could do with a win. They haven't won in 11 Premier League games now, but they, at least they've stopped the rot with those seven defeats. So things are looking positive, and it was certainly a, an encouraging start for Mamigard. Yeah, it definitely was, but still, you know, it's only five points from their 12 games. It's the worst ever total at this stage of a Premier League season, so he's got loads to do if he is going to keep them up. and. You know, it just it didn't it didn't, didn't get any better for him over the international break. They lost uh, a Mavi to a season-ending ACL injury, and he sort of was a bit in and out of the team under Sherwood. But when he did play, I saw I know Villa fans. He saw them on Twitter. They really liked him as a player, and to lose him for the rest of the season is a real blow for them. And Rudy Gestead, he's being assessed as well. And if he's out injured here, then that'd be a blow for them as well. You got players like Agbon Lahore is a doubt as well. So they've got a few injury worries coming into this game. And you know, certainly I think in January, Remy Gardi's the new manager. He'll obviously have some players who maybe from France in Ligue 1 that you fancy signing. and But I've, I've seen them link with Charlie Austin recently and I think that would certainly make sense for them as a move because you know he, he didn't get that move away in the summer after you know a very impressive first Premier League season last year. And you know the way things are going at QPR at the moment, you think probably they'd just try and cash in on him in January because you know it doesn't look at the moment like QPR are going to be, able, be getting promoted this season. They are you know in the process of getting a new manager at the moment. But... I think Austin would certainly be a good signing for him. I think they sort of need a quite like a rounded striker like him. Gested is more of a sort of battering ram up there. He's good at you know winning headers and holding the ball up. But Austin's a much more composed finisher. He'll get in behind, run the channels a bit more. And I think with a striker like that, I think if him and Gested, they could form quite a good partnership. So two different types of player. But I think if Austin did come in, he would then assume the sort of number one striker's role because he can do a bit of everything. He's good with his head. He's you know good movement good at finishing with his feet as well so I think if, if they could get someone like a Charlie Austin it'd be certainly a very good buy in January but it's going to be hard to you know persuade players to come to a side if Villa are still you know just stranded at the bottom it'd be quite hard to persuade them to come to a, a team that would be you know odds on for relegation yeah certainly and this weekend's not going to be easy for them either we mentioned their poor form but they're coming against an Everton side at Goodison Park who will certainly go into the match as favourites they drew one all at West Ham last time out not the easiest match it was, it was an even pretty open and entertaining game Lanzini put West Ham into lead with a lovely finish into the top corner curling it in but then Lukaku a similarly nice finish round in the keeper it was all made by Delafello's pass a fantastic pass through the middle and Lukaku composed finish I think that's seven goals in his last seven games now so he's really starting to hit a bit of form which is ideal for Everton if they want to push up into those European places obviously disappointing season last season disappointing transfer window in terms of incomings but they've done so pretty well so far this season they're ninth in the table they're level on points with Liverpool they have won just one of the last five Premier League games though and that was against Sunderland 6-2 thrash and a, a big win but as as we know that game could have been anything really there was chances at either way in Everton it could have easily been 6-0 6-5 something like that so that one wasn't despite the convincing scoreline it wasn't the most convincing victory so 
they're not they're not doing their best form wise at the moment, but they have had a tough run of fixtures. You have to say that they've had Liverpool, United, Arsenal, uh, and West Ham in addition to Sunderland in those last five games. So they can point they can point to the fixtures there. Um, they're only going to get easier to be honest. So they they'll fancy their chances of kicking on now and moving up the table, challenging for those those top four, top six places. Yeah, I think certainly you make that point there, and you, you do look at their fixtures coming up, and they do get a lot easier between. You know, now in 2016, they've played basically all the all the big boys in the league. Now they've got those out of the way, and like they are still in the top half, sitting there ninth. And on the whole, it has been a pretty encouraging start to the season. And when you look at you know where the table is now, they're they're only four points off fifth place, seven off the top four. They're level with Liverpool, like you mentioned there. And I think with the run of fixtures they've got coming up, it's very important for them to keep pace. You know, with their rivals there, because if Liverpool string together a few wins and start to pull away I think because Everton this is a real chance for them to keep above Liverpool in the table you look at their fixtures coming up they've got Villa here obviously bottom of the table Bournemouth who have been you know, really struggling in recent weeks then they've got the um, League Cup quarter final against Middlesbrough which is a big game for the club because it's been a while since they had a cup run you know 20 years since they won a trophy so that's it's a big game for them that one then after that is Palace, Norwich, Leicester Newcastle and Stoke you know, to finish the calendar year so all of those fixtures you'd say winnable for a team like Everton I'm, I'm not, not don't think they will win all of those but certainly there's a real chance here for them to put a lot of points on the board going into the new year and put themselves in a really good position. Yeah, and encouraging signs going forward on the fitness front as well because Jagielka is still out at the moment, which is a blow, but they've got Baines coming back soon. They've got Cleverly coming back. Oviedo, Bezic, Browning, Galloway, Pina. They've, they've got a long uh, injury list at the moment, but slowly they're all coming back to fitness. I think Baines could be a big one. They've they've been struggling at left back because they've been, they've been pretty short in that area of the field at the moment. So to get Baines back fit if he can get back to the level he was for as has been for much of his Everton career that would be a huge plus defensively you know they they could do better this season no clean sheet in the last six Premier League games only West Ham were on a longer run without a clean sheet of seven Premier League games so they do need to do better defensively but that should come with the likes of Baines coming back obviously they've still got Stones there there's talk of him perhaps go um, being subject of more bids in January from Chelsea which it's probably going to unsettle Everton, but you saw Stones. He's the type of player. It happened in the uh, the summer transfer window as well. He's the type of player that doesn't really take much heed of those. He did put in a transfer request, but on the pitch, you wouldn't have noticed anything was up. He was as composed as ever. Impressive for England in midweek. Very composed on the ball. So they've got a star in him, I think. Star in the making in the future. If they can keep hold of him in January as well, get Jagielka back to fitness, get Baines back to fitness, Coleman on the right. Another good defensive um, unit that they've had for a couple of years now. And that defensive record will improve, and that that will only help them move up the table. Yeah, definitely. I think one thing with uh, Baines in particular as well is that you know he hasn't played for it's a good six months now since he's played, and if he comes back, you know, in the next couple of weeks, he's got a real point to prove in terms of you know the England squad and Roy Hodgson because you know that's a, there's a real there's a lot of good players that England have at that left back position. We know Shaw's out for the rest of the season; he might come back in time to be fit for Euro 2016, but. I think with Baines, he's going to have quite a lot of fire in his belly because you look at the players like Bertrand, Gibbs, doing well for England. I think Baines really has a point to prove this year because you'd probably say this might be his last chance you know, to be like the first choice left back at a tournament for England. So he's got a real point to prove, I think. It'll be interesting to see how well he starts playing given you know he has been out for six months. But anyway, what's your score prediction for this game? Yeah, I think the the addition of Emigard and how they played against Man City makes this a bit more difficult. But as I say, they were quite lucky to get away with a point there. So I think I'm going to go for an Everton victory here. They should, I don't th- think they're going to run away with it by any means, but they should have enough about them to come away with a win. I'm going to go for 2-1 Everton. 2-1, yeah, I actually completely agree with that. I think, like you say, Villa won't make it too easy for them. And I think Everton, they haven't been all that convincing in recent weeks. Even, like you mentioned earlier, the 6-2 win over Sunderland you know, could have gone the other way in that game. But I also think Everton will win 2-1, so... Both picking Everton to win this one. 
Okay, moving on up to St. James's Park now, where Newcastle play high-flying Leicester City. Pascal, has got to start with the visitors now. Just one point off the top of the table. Yeah, it's incredible. You know, think that if results, you know, if City and Arsenal don't get results this weekend, Leicester could go top. It's an incredible feat for them. You know, we're almost a third of the way through the season. Twelve games played, and they're still right up there. Twenty-five points from twelve games. Amazing achievement for them. You know, three wins in uh, three wins in a row. Four wins in five um, after that two-one win over Watford last time out before the international break. It's, some run they're on, and you know it was another, you know, another goal for Jamie Vardy in that game. He got the second after um, Kante had put them ahead. You know, you, you have to say they probably were given a, a big helping hand by Gomez's performance in the Watford goal. It was a, a fairly cagey first half. You know, Watford went there, set out quite defensively. They've been good at that this season. Watford, you know, frustrating teams, but then Gomez just gifted them the first goal. You know, with that awful mistake he made, and then uh, gave away the penalty that Vardy stuck away. And at 2-0, you never really doubted Leicester there. You know, Deeney, they did concede that, you know, it was a careless penalty that, you know, Deeney stuck away to make it a bit nervous sort of in the final sort of 10 minutes or so. But, you know, once once they went 2-0 up, you never really doubted them. And you have to say it's an incredible achievement for them. You know, more goals in the second half as well. They scored 72% of their goals in the second half. So even though they, they weren't that good in the first half, I think the fans always knew that they would improve after half-time and... You have to say that for Leicester to be third this stage of the season, considering they were, you know, a late season surge away from going down last from going down last year, is just an amazing achievement by Ranieri. It is, and you mentioned Vardy there. Obviously, nine consecutive Premier League games he scored in a row. There, he just keeps on scoring, and it's quite refreshing to see a player who's obviously so determined to get the record. Often, players would just play down these sort of individual feats as just they'd rather win for the team but Vardy obviously wants this one and the team obviously wanted to get it because Mares was originally going to take that penalty against Watford but he turned round at the last second gave it to Vardy to get his ninth goal on the row it wasn't the cutest penalty you'll ever see Vardy smashed it into the top corner through the middle he wasn't taking any risk just put his laces through the ball but he got the goal he's now just one away from equaling Van Nistelrooy's record there is a big doubt over him this weekend he's rated about 50-50 at the moment because of a hip injury but then again he, he went off against Watford and it looked like he wasn't going to carry on but then he soldiered on came back on the pitch and almost immediately ran for on goal and won the penalty that he, he then stuck away so he's a tough cookie he's going to battle and he's, he, he won't if it, if there is a chance of him playing in this game he would certainly want to uh, do it he didn't play for England which was would have been a big shame for him especially with you know you, you would have thought he would have played a fairly big part against France especially maybe even against Spain if he was fully fit so that was a bit of um, a bit of a blow for him but if a few more days, he might be fit enough to start for Leicester. He'll certainly do everything in his power to do it. I think one point to make on Mahrez as well, that I questioned whether the fact that he's been left out of the team, when he's obviously so skillful, he's been left out of the team a couple of times, maybe to do with his attitude, but the fact that he gave Vardy the penalty, I think speaks volume about the togetherness sorry, that there is at Leicester at the moment. Mahrez, he could have selfishly gone for the penalty himself. He's got a decent scoring record so far this season. He could have got another one on the board, but to give that to Vardy was very good of him, I think. And the, t- the whole team is obviously so much behind Vardy to get him that, that record with Van Nistelrooy's record that... I'd be surprised if he doesn't really get it, to be honest with you. Yeah, and I think certainly if if he is sort of on the fringes and maybe thinks he's fit to play, I think he'll really want to play in this game because you know Newcastle here is much easier than their next game. Say if he does sit out here and then goes for the Premier League record, you know the following week is when they play you know Van Nistelrooy's former club United, ironically, and they've got the stingiest defence in the league, so, and that could be a really tough game for him to you know you know equal the record in. So I think he'll really really want to play in this one if he can because. I think there's a better chance they'll score against Newcastle than you know United the week after, to be honest. But look at the stats. Leicester, they're still only, still only beaten once this whole season. That was the 5-2 uh, uh, home defeat against Arsenal. And 
you know, that's the joint fewest defeats with, with Spurs, who haven't lost since the opening day. So it's really, really impressive that they've only, you know, in 12 games, only lost one of those games. And that was against, you know, one of the two sides above them. But you have to say, when you look at their fixtures to sort of end the sort of half season, you know, coming up to the, the end of the calendar year, after that, you know, Newcastle here, for, it's a winnable game for them. But then, like I said, it's United the week after, then Swansea, Chelsea, Everton, Liverpool and Man City to finish the calendar year. And you have to say, it's a really, really difficult run of fixtures to end the year. And if... I mean, I don't think anyone's really considering them a serious uh, top four contenders yet. But if they could, you know, string together, say maybe three wins in those last six games, maybe a draw and then two defeats in the others, that if they can get that sort of points, all they'll still be in and around the top four by 2016. And maybe if you know if they're in that sort of position, the owners might think, right, okay, if we spend a bit more money here, improve the squad in January, we might have a real chance here of somehow, you know, crashing the you know, top six or maybe even the top four. I think it's still a long shot that, but. If they are there come 2016, they could spend a lot of money in January. Yeah, you can't really write them off at the moment, can they? They keep proving people wrong. Everyone thinks they're going to drop off, but they keep on winning and they'll be they'll fancy their chance of winning again this weekend. Newcastle, still they're now out of the bottom three, but they're still in and around the relegation zone. Moved out of the bottom three with a 1-0 win at Bournemouth, but they really rode their luck in that match. Quite how they won that game. I'm not sure even Steve McLaren was sure. They scored with their only shot on target, Eose Perez, and that was a bit of a goalkeeping error from Federici. Probably should have kept that one out, but... That was really their only attack of the game. Aside from that, it was all Bournemouth. The stats are making incredible readings. Bournemouth had 67% possession, 20 shots to Newcastle's two, 16 corners to Newcastle's zero. It was completely one-way traffic. Bournemouth just couldn't put the ball in the back of the net. Rob Elliott had probably his best, the best game of his career in goal, but then Bournemouth, they only managed five shots on target from their 20 shots. It was mainly some poor finishing from Bournemouth, really. They should have done better if they maybe had Callum Wilson on the field. They would have got a few goals, but Newcastle were really hanging on for that. Quite fortunate to get it, but at the end of the day, it is another clean sheet. That's back-to-back clean sheets. They haven't had three in a row for a year now, so that's something to aim for against Leicester. Obviously not going to be easy against the Leicester side who are scoring so freely so far this season, but something to aim for. Three in total this season after their goalless draw against United earlier this season, which, again, they had to hang on for. So they've got a bit of resilience, but there's no doubt about it. They rode their luck against Bournemouth. Yeah, you mentioned the performance of Rob Elliott there. The thing is, he's he's a doubtful this weekend, and so is the other goalkeeper, Carl, Carl Darlow, because we already know that Tim Carroll, he's out for you know the rest of the season with that serious knee injury. So they're going to surely try to get one of these two players fit, but if it doesn't go to plan in the next couple of days, then they might have to call on you know an academy keeper to come up, and you know if he comes into the team, he's going to be facing the best striker, well, the hottest striker in the league at the moment in Vardy, if he plays. So it could be a very interesting goalkeeping dilemma for Newcastle coming into this one, and Certainly, we're talking about the goalkeeping there, but at the other end of the field, they've only scored one goal in the last three Premier League games. That was uh, Perez's winner, like you said, which was quite fortunate anyway, uh, at Dean Court last week. So they need to improve going forward. You know, Wijnaldum's looked good here and there, but in terms of the strikers, you know, Mitrovic, the same. He's, you know, both players have looked like fairly decent signings, but they're not, they haven't been consistent enough to, to put Newcastle in sort of a mid table position. So they both need to find some form, but. We talked about Leicester's fixtures getting uh, tough. So do Newcastle's. You know, facing Leicester here is a really difficult game for them. And you look at their fixtures after this: they go to Crystal Palace, host Liverpool, and then go to Spurs. So the next four games: Leicester, Palace, Liverpool, Spurs. You know, all top half sides have been decent of late. So it's it's a tough run of fixtures for Newcastle. They got out of the bottom three uh, before the international break, but it looks like they could soon, you know, drop back in. And the league table is quite clear. Which way this match should go? Which way do you see it going? Yeah, I'm I'm going to back Leicester here. I think you know. It's two week international break. You might say that the form might not matter as much, but I just, you know, Leicester they've been doing fantastically. Even if uh, you know Vardy doesn't play, there's other players who you'd say probably could take up the slack, like Mares, 
and I think Leicester will win this one 2-0 yeah, I agree with the Leicester victory. You mentioned Newcastle's form has improved a little of late. They've only lost one of the last four, but as we say, quite how they didn't lose against Bournemouth, I'm not so sure. So I can see Leicester, the momentum they've got, the momentum some of their key players have got at the moment. I can see them overwhelming Newcastle here a bit as well. So I'm going to go for I'm going to go for a two-one Leicester victory. So we're both going for Leicester away victories. At St Mary's, it's two sides coming off the back of one 0 wins as Southampton entertain Stoke. Barnes, let's start with the visitors this time before the international break a 1-0 win over Chelsea. Yeah, obviously a very good win. We know about Chelsea's troubles so far this season, but any victory over them, as Mark Hughes said after the game, they're still a very good side. They've still got very good players, so any victory over them is going to be a good one. Obviously, it's already Stoke's second victory over them this season after beating them on penalties in the League Cup, so they seem to have their number at the moment, but they did have to ride their luck at times in that match. Chelsea, quite how they didn't score, I'm not sure. Nothing seems to be going for them at the moment. They were much improved from their previous performance. This is the one performance they can really look at and say they didn't deserve to lose. They were unlucky in that game. But Stoke took full advantage of that. They're always dangerous on the break with some of the players they got. Arnautovic is in a bit of form right now, turning out to be a really important player for them. And he got the winning goal, that was a really acrobatic volley, a good finish from them. So, you know, they took their chances when it arose second best on the day I think Mark Hughes readily admitted that after the game so they were quite fortunate to come away with all three points but three points nonetheless it gives them their best ever Premier League start now after 12 games they are only 12th in the table only got 16 points but it is their best ever start and they fancy their chances they've always traditionally been sort of team that might climb the table towards the end of the season steadily for a few years they were obviously battling against relegation when they first came into the league but under Mark Hughes last season it was certainly a case of building a team that steadily climbed the table and if they can do that again this season then another top half finish is certainly within their grasp they started well enough you know down in 12th it's pretty mediocre at the moment but they'll fancy their chances of they're still certainly still in contention for a top half finish and they'll fancy their chances of building as the season progresses Absolutely, yeah. and it's only one defeat in seven Premier League games now for them. That was that really disappointing uh, 2-0 defeat at home to Watford, so that was a bit of a blip, but on the whole their form has been you know, decent in recent weeks, and it's four clean sheets in five as well, so they've sort of you know, regathered that sort of defensive stability that they're sort of known for Stoke, and you'd probably say the main reason for that is Jack Butland. He's been fantastic in goal for them this season. We've sang his praises quite a few times, but he again impressed, you know, as like you mentioned there, that you know, Stoke were a bit fortunate in the Chelsea game, but he did make some key saves there. Uh, he came on uh, for England in midweek uh, uh, against France, replaced Joe Hart at half-time. Hart had a couple of dodgy moments in the first half, a couple of you know loose kicks, and then Butland came on, looked very assured, made a couple of great saves, one in particular from um, Martial, where he stuck out his hands to the right and made a very uh, smart near-post stop. So he's looking really good there, and you just wonder if he keeps going the way he is. Hart you know, hasn't been as good. He made that, you know, Hart made that horrendous error that gifted Norwich their goal a, a few weeks back, and you know, if Hart sort of starts plateauing a bit and if Butland just keeps getting better, you know, you have to say he'll really come into contention, I think, for the number one spot um, in France at Euro 2016 next year. I still expect probably that Hart will be the number one in Euro 2016, but as I've mentioned, I think a couple of weeks back, I think that this could maybe be Hart's last tournament as number one. Maybe he might not even be number one for this tournament because I don't think Butland is really showing incredible progress. He's becoming one of the you know best keepers in the league this season. And if he keeps going the way he is, it would be hard really difficult for Hodgson not to make him number one uh, in France next year I think yeah I've been very very impressed with him as well he's, he's such a good shot stopper isn't he he seems to always make himself big and make some crucial saves for Stoke and they probably wouldn't be as high as 12th if they, if he hadn't been in such fine form so far this season their main problems really are coming at the other end of the field which is quite surprising when you consider they've got the likes of you know Shakiri, Arnautovic Bojan Diouf has had his moments in the Premier League they've got some dangerous players that can that can hurt teams but they've only scored 10 league 
goals so far this season in 12 games, which is the joint fewest along with West Brom and Aston Villa. So that's certainly an area that they need to improve. And as I mentioned, it is their best ever Premier League start, but they've got a tough end to the year. Six of their last seven fixtures in 2015 are against teams currently in the top half of the table and they haven't beaten any team in the top half of the table so far this season you know they've they've lost to Liverpool and Arsenal they've drawn with Tottenham and Leicester and that Tottenham game they needed two late goals to come back from 2-0 behind as well so they haven't got the best record against teams above them in the table at the moment but and and they've got a tough run of fixtures in that sense coming up in the top half but if they can perhaps get some victories in those games then it'll certainly build the belief in the squad. Absolutely, yeah, but they come up, like, like you say, one of those top-half sides here, Southampton, sitting seventh at the moment. They've won three in a row in all competitions, unbeaten in eight as well, so they're in really good form, Southampton. Before the international break, they were 1-0 winners at Sunderland, um, thanks to Tadic's penalty. And You know, it was a, one of those games where, you know, Sunderland, they defended quite well in that one, but Southampton, they never, they don't often blow teams away on the road, you know. I think, you know, they did beat Sunderland uh, 8-0 last season, but that was at home, and, you know, no one expected that kind of scoreline, and in the game, you know, Sunderland, like I said, they did defend okay, but then it was one sort of moment of madness from and Villa, wasn't it? He dove in on um, Ryan Bertrand, really, really silly to give away a penalty like that. Tadic stuck it away, and three more points for Southampton. That's back-to-back wins and clean sheets as well. I mean, I wouldn't if I was a Southampton fan, I wouldn't get too excited about that. It was only Bournemouth and Sunderland they were facing. You know, not exactly. You know, they're two of the bottom three sides and two sides not in very good form at all. But you know, still two wins, two clean sheets. You can't complain with that. Um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, unbeaten in eight as well, and they last enjoyed an unbeaten run like this. You know, it's two years now since they had an unbeaten run like that in uh, November 2013. So they are really, really playing well defensively. They look solid. They might be without uh, Van Dyke for this one, which would be a blow because he's come in and looked very, very solid in uh, central defence for them. So if he's out, that'd be a blow. But you still say. You know, given their recent form, that they will go into this match as favourites. Yeah, and in that eight game unbeaten, they actually won six of them in all competitions, which is a good record. The concern, a bit like Stoke, to be honest, is that none of those victories have actually come against top half teams. They've drawn against Liverpool and Leicester in that run, are the only top half teams they've played. Obviously, they fancy a chance against Stoke who are in the bottom half going into this game, and you know, Ronald Koeman, he'll be fairly content. They, they obviously deserve to win against Sunderland. They were the better team on the day and finally found the breakthrough. It's Maybe a bit tougher than some might expect it, but they finally got the win. Now 7th with 20 points from 12 games, 1 point off 5th, 4 points off the top 4, so very much still in the race for a European place. And they will fancy their chance of keeping that challenge up throughout the season. They've won 3 of the last 4 at home, which is where the bulk of their um, their points are coming. And they're scoring goals at home as well. They've got 9 in those last 4 games, 3 goals in 1 of them and 2 goals in um, the last 3 home games. Pele, as we know, is fantastic at home. We've, we've mentioned it a few times. He always seems to score at St. Mary's. Has his struggles away from home, but at St. Mary's, you always back him to score. He has been linked with a move away from the club. He's admit, admitted that he misses Italy and Juventus, so apparently looking at him, perhaps interested in, but he does seem to be happy at Southampton. I'd be very surprised if anything unsettles him in January and if, if he was to leave in January. So I don't think Southampton have to worry about that much at the moment, and I don't think they've got too many worries on the horizon because they're in, they're in decent form and they'll fancy their chance of improving that this weekend yeah I just think though with you know Pella you know if it, if he if he does say he misses Italy you know Juve obviously a huge club there in Serie A if they did come in with a big offer you know he's, he's probably Italy's number one striker now for the national team as well so there's a lot of you know more spotlight on him you know back in Italy than there was when he say first moved to Southampton I think it'd be really difficult say if if you know Juve came with a big offer Southampton maybe thought about accepting it I think it'd be really difficult for him to turn that down because I think he'd be interested in it but um, anyway what's your score prediction for this game yeah, I can't see many goals in this one. I think both teams can be pretty tight at the back, so I can see it being edged by one goal either way, and I think I'm going to go for Southampton 1-0. Well, 
1-0. Yeah, this is quite a tough one to call. I think Stoke have, have looked solid, but like you say, their record against top-half teams isn't that great. And I think Southampton will prove too strong. I'm going to go for a 2-0 home win for them. So both picking Southampton to win this one. OK, from two sides in good form to two sides in need of a victory as Swansea host Bournemouth at the Liberty Stadium. Pascal will start with the home side. Their poor form continued with a 1-0 defeat to Norwich last time out. Yeah, it's just one win in their last eight Premier League games for Swansea now, for sitting 14th in the table. That one win was against, you know, bottom club Aston Villa, so not exactly that much to get excited about, you know, and they needed a late goal in that one to get a winner. So it has been really, really poor from Swansea. We've talked about it in depth, you know, for a good couple of months now, that since that, you know, that their good form in August, it really has dipped. Go to Norwich, who I think were without a win in six themselves, so I think it was a real chance for Swansea to, you know, get another win, but they couldn't do it, not being able to score against Norwich, you know, and then the goal they did concede as well was from a set piece. You know, Johnny Housen, he's hardly the biggest guy on the pitch. He's one of the smallest, in fact. So to let him have a header there and, you know, stick it away was disappointing. They did create some chances. You know, Sigurdsson hit the bar with that cheeky chip he had. But apart from that, really not that much to get excited about for Swansea fans. Go and miss again. He gets himself into some decent positions and there's fairly good service. But at the moment, he just is in such bad form in terms of his finishing in front of goal. You know, he was doing so well in the first month of the season. Finished last season quite strongly as well. And we said that, you know, at one point they might not necessarily need to spend big with that um, Wilfred Bonny money to uh, buy another striker, but that's a, it's a player they desperately need, I think, at the moment because Gomez he just seemed to have a bit of a it was a short term, you know, good run of form, you know, last season, start of this season, but he just he's looked really, you know, below par the last sort of month or two, and I think they really do need a replacement in January. And you have to say that there's not really many excuses that they can have for this poor form they were they've, they've been a fit you know they had their best ever Premier League total last season they've got a fully fit squad no injuries at all so there's there's no excuses they can have there and you have to say that they just they've really hit poor form and it needs to turn around soon yeah and they haven't had a particularly tough run of fixtures with a lot of big teams in a row either so it is strange why they're in such poor form and the, the, the questions have started to arise about Gary Monk's future which I still think is a bit premature. He did such a good job for them in his first full se- in his first season last term, and there was talk of him being the next big thing, the next bright manager. Even in August, when they were doing so well, he was he was being lauded by the media. And now there's exit rumours gathering a bit of pace. There's talk that he, you know he's fallen out with the, uh, Hugh Jenkins, the chairman at uh, Swansea, over having perhaps a more experienced manager, a coach to deal with him, which Gary. Mar- I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today doesn't want there's talk about that but by all accounts they do the chairman and the manager do still have a fairly decent bond obviously Monk's been he's been with Swansea for years and years now so he he knows the club he's he's a hero at the club played for them for years so he won't want to leave I don't think Swansea will want him to leave I don't think the fans will want him to leave if they can avoid it but it is pretty poor form I, I, I think he's earned the right to have a bit a lot a lot more time and he could do with a lot of help a lot more help from the players I think 
you mentioned Gomez there. He's been in full form. He started the season well, but he's one of only three players to have actually scored in the Premier League for Swansea this season. Ayew, he's done well since coming in. And Sigurdsson, those are the only other two to have actually scored. So they need the likes of Key, John Joe Shelby, Adair, Jefferson Montero. They need them to start weighing in with goals. Montero in particular had a good start to the season with his performances, but... They need more goals throughout the throughout the team because if you've only got three players scoring for you in the Premier League, you're going to lose or draw more games than you actually win. So Monk needs some help from his players. There was questions, you know, whether uh, Sigurdsson he reportedly criticised Monk said he doesn't really communicate with the players. Ashley Williams seemed a bit annoyed that Gary Monk stopped him playing the full friendly for Wales against um, Netherlands. I think it was in the international break. So the perhaps a few cracks starting to emerge between the manager and player but I think the players do need to do more for Monk. Absolutely I think Sigurdsson he did kind of backtrack on those comments a bit he said um, you know, I think it was kind of a bit lost in translation what he said there but I think certainly you know the players they can't they can't have given up on Monk yet but like you said they do need to contribute a lot more and he talks about the goal struggles there are only three players um, you know netting in the league this season but it's no clean sheet in six either so defensively they haven't looked as sound you know Ashley Williams was really marshalling that defence when they were at their best form but they kind of lost their way a bit at the back and you know they haven't scored in three of the last four games all of those being defeats as well so both defence and attack they're really struggling and yeah like you said I think someone like John Joe Shelby you know he he, he can score goals from midfield he's got a good shot on him he likes breaking into the box but he hasn't done much uh, Ed Air, like you said he he was sort of a, brought in as a decent backup striker and he, I think he's played a Ten or eleven times this season, he has come on in a lot of games, still yet to score. Which for an out-and-out striker just simply isn't good enough. And their home form has to improve as well. They've not won in their last four at home, and they're not scoring three of those games either. So when you're not scoring at home, you're not winning at home. There's something clearly wrong. And with them 14th in the table, they're not exactly that far away from the drop zone now. So they need to, you know, go on a decent runs, pull away because they looked so good at the start of the season. You know, being tips maybe to break into the top six there after what, like we said, was a great year last year. But it has all gone wrong, and the things need to turn around soon. And I, like you said, I think Monk will be given time. And given how players like Gomez have struggled, they should probably be looking to sign some players in January. I would have thought because they still haven't really, you know, spent a chunk of that um, money they got for Wilfred Bonny. Uh, last January so it'd be interesting to see what they do next uh, in the new year Yeah and you mentioned Swansea would have gone into that Norwich game hoping for a win because Norwich were in poor form and Bournemouth they come into this match in even worse form so Swansea will be pretty confident of maybe breaking their own poor form in this match Bournemouth they've now lost five in a row in all, good, in all competitions winless in their last seven it's dropped into the relegation zone before the international break with a 1-0 loss to Newcastle in a bottom of the table clash that was two of the top uh, two of the bottom four so going head to head I mean quite how they didn't win that game I'm not really sure Eddie Howe was scratching his head he, he said how cruel the Premier League was after the match because they absolutely dominated from start to finish Newcastle only had one shot on target that was a Yosi Perez and that should have been saved by um, Federici crept under his hand trickled over the line so agonising for them and that was one of only two shots Newcastle had all game Bournemouth dominated possession they had 20 shots to Newcastle's two 16 corners Newcastle didn't even have one it was just one way traffic throughout but Bournemouth just couldn't stick the ball in the back of the net they had a lot of ones which went very close Rob Elliott made a few crucial saves it's just chance after chance they were creating. They just couldn't score them, and they need to do that. Obviously, they're missing Callum Wilson through injury. He's their main goal scorer, but they need other players, just like Swans do. They need other players to step up and start scoring those goals. That didn't happen against Newcastle. They'll take a lot of um, 
positives from the actual performance because they were the better team quite comfortably and they've been they've been probably the better team in a few matches when they haven't got what they deserve from games so far this season but it's a, it's a results business in the Premier League if you don't get those points on the board you're not going to stay in the division they, they need to start turning those good performances into results absolutely yeah and you know, look at their sort of recent Premier League form as four defeats in a row scoring only two as well and you just wonder if they have got enough quality to score goals in the Premier League like you say because they did create a lot of chances against Newcastle and I mentioned that you know Swansea don't have can't really have any excuses injury wise but it's the opposite for Bournemouth you know they have been desperately unlucky you know it's their first ever season in the in the top flight of English football and for them to lose the players like they have you know Callum Wilson especially is the big one Gradle as well who's starting to find his feet so it's really really unlucky for Bournemouth you have to say and one thing they can't do is you know Matt Ritchie he's he's been there probably their best player he was their best player last year probably I thought he was the best player in the championship didn't actually win the award but he was standout player for them last year he's been you know Manchester United I think that was a bit bit of a stretch linking him there but I've seen clubs like West Brom and Stoke maybe might go for him in January but I don't Bournemouth just can't sell him in January you know they're, they're best players they've got to stick by him because the thing is if, if they don't turn the season around and if they do end up going down they're going to have to sell their star players in the summer there's, there's no way they're going to be able to keep them they're going to sort of do what Burnley had to do last year you know lose because Burnley lost the likes, likes of Ings and Trippier Bournemouth will probably have to do the same if they go down and the likes of Richie and Wilson, you know, they could follow this sort of similar path if the, if the cherries don't stay up. So, it's it's a big time coming up for the club. You know, they have been struggling of late, and if they can't, if they're still going to be in the bottom three, sort of, you know, by the time the transfer window opens, there's talk that there's a bit of new uh, American investment at the club. And Jeff Mostyn, he said that they're not going to go on a spending spree, but you certainly feel, given the key injuries that they they have suffered, that they might need to bring in some new faces just to try and stay in the league this season. Because if not. You could see them maybe just falling away and you know being out of the race, you know by say April sort of time. So it is two teams in desperate need of a victory. Do you see either getting one? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna side with Swansea. I think Bournemouth they've looked really really. Um, I know they created a lot of chances against Newcastle, but you know they they just at the moment they don't really look like a Premier League side at the moment. I don't think Bournemouth. And I think Swansea. You'd expect them to sort of start to find their feet sooner rather than later. And I think I don't think it'll be exactly a high scoring game, but I think Swansea might just edge it two 0 yeah, I'm going to back Swansea as well. I think Bournemouth, they have been struggling for goals of late. They haven't scored in the last three in all competitions. And Swansea, even though they're in poor form, the the, the one game they have won recently is against Aston Villa. So against the struggling teams, they, they can get something out of the game. I'm going to agree with the Swansea victory, but I can see Bournemouth maybe getting a goal. I'm going to go for 2-1 to Swansea. So we're both going for home victories here. The last of the 3pm kickoffs is at the Hawthorns, where West Brom host Arsenal. Barnsley start with the visitors still level on points with City at the top of the table after one all draw with Spurs in the North London derby. Yeah, it turned out to be a bit of a mischance in the end, didn't it, for Arsenal? Obviously, Man City could only get a draw against Aston Villa when a lot of people would have been expecting them to win that. So there was a chance for Arsenal to go clear at the top of the table. But in truth, I think they'll be pretty content with the one all draw in that match. Tottenham were probably the better side for long spells in that. Arsenal, they might be able to argue that they should have won it with those chances. Giroud had a couple of headed chances, which he really should have scored, to be honest with you, quite close up. And the form he's in with those one-touch finishes I've talked about in the box before, that you'd have, you'd have backed him to score a couple, at least one of those. So Arsenal can point to um, factors why perhaps they should have won it. But in the end, a draw was probably the fairest result. And you'd have to say Tottenham were probably the better team. I think there was a bit of confusion why Wenger was bringing Gibbs on when they're chasing the goal but he turns up and gets the equaliser after Harry Kane had earlier scored the the opener for Tottenham and that Harry Kane goal was a bit worrying defensively for Arsenal because they could have defended it better Koscielny dropped back played him on side Murtasaka didn't really come across um, quickly enough 
it could have defended that one a lot better. But to come back into that match, Gibbs getting the equaliser, as I mentioned, then create more chances with um, Giroud, with Giroud. They finished the match quite well. One all, a fair result in the end, but it is a missed chance. They're still level at the top of the table. Could, in fact, drop as low as fourth this weekend if results were to go against them. But as things stand, they'll be happy with their position, joint top of the table. Yeah, they definitely will be, yeah. And I think... The interesting thing with sort of their, they've got, you look at their run of fixtures they've got coming up after this, you know, their next four league games, they've got West Brom, Norwich, West Brom in this one obviously, and then Norwich, Sunderland and Aston Villa, you know, all four of those sides they would really expect to beat. And the thing is, in between those two games, this is the huge couple of Champions League group games they've got because you know, they've only got three points uh, after four games of the group, you know, they need to win both of those, you know, they must win games. And I, I, I do wonder if, you know, their key, their key forward, you know, Alexis Sanchez, there's, there's talk that he will be rested this weekend and that Wenger might even give him uh, a mid-season break because he's he's been looking a little jaded. You know, he, he did so well in the summer. You know, helping Chile win the Copa America, their first ever uh, international trophy. But you just wonder if that maybe that summer, all the all the effort he put in over the summer is catching up with him. And you know, he played 180 minutes, played in both games for Chile over the recent international break as well. So he might return home from that tired. You know, last time they had an international break, we we talked about the same kind of thing that he might get a rest but he didn't you know he's obviously he's one of those players who will just want to play whatever the whatever the condition but maybe Wenger might just think about maybe resting him for this one if if, if not for the, him being jaded more for the fact that the, the Champions League tie on Tuesday against the Greb is arguably bigger than this one against West Brom because you'd probably back Arsenal to win this and then you know like I said those those next four Premier League games you'd expect 12 points out of 12 to be honest and then after that they've got the big showdown with uh, Man City on December the 21st which you know, by all accounts, probably will still be a top of the table clash. You know, next month. Yeah, and those four Premier League games you mentioned, three of them have come away from home, which some people might view as a negative, considering how good Arsenal can be at home. But their away form in the Premier League is actually very impressive. They've got 31 from 36 possible away points in the last 12 Premier League games. Best away record in the league this season. Five wins and only that one defeat against Chelsea when they ended the game with nine men. So they can point to the two sendings offs there. I mean, their away record in other competitions isn't great. They got comfortably beaten by by in, in Munich by Bayern Munich, of course, in the Champions League recently. 3-0 defeat to Sheffield Wednesday in the League Cup and lost to Dynamo Zagreb as well. So in other competitions, they haven't been too good on the road but in the Premier League they're very impressive away from home and they'll be confident of keeping that up they've got a good run as, as you mentioned West Brom, Norwich and Aston Villa are the three of those four games that are away from home and they've got Olympiacos in the midst of that which will be an absolute crucial uh, Champions League match last game of the group and it's Olympiacos who they're expected to be battling out for it could be a winner takes all tie that one so that'll be a huge one so four big away ties coming up and four that they'll be confident of winning as well Absolutely, yeah. West Brom, who hosts them here, they they come into this game not exactly in the best in the best form. They've had back to back defeats, one to Leicester, and then last time out before the international break, two 0 defeat at Old Trafford against Man United. They weren't too bad in that game, to be honest. But you know, once you know, you know, United did struggle to break them down in the first half. But once Lingard, you know, curled in that shot, excellent finish from him. You know, that 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 you know broke West Brom's resolve, and from there, you know, they. They didn't create too much. There was just the one chance, the one glaring opportunity they had with Berahino, who you know recently in the last week has been linked with Chelsea. Interestingly, he missed an absolute sit. It was a great cross in uh, from the right, and he it was a completely free header. Maybe he thought the defender in front of him might have got it, and he seemed a little bit surprised. But for him to, he just didn't sort of direct his head, you know, towards the goal. The ball just sort of hit him on the head, and then just cannoned, you know, wide wide of the goal. It was a real, really, really good chance. We would have leveled the scores at the time, and. Uh, and then United get the late penalty. Um, Gareth McCauley sent off for the challenge, and then Matter stuck it away, which obviously made it look more comfortable for United than perhaps it was. But 
you know they they had that one chance um, from Berahino, but they didn't actually have a shot on target the whole game at Old Trafford, so they didn't create too many chances. Berahino should have got that on target at the very least and should have scored to be honest. But like I said, back to back defeats and leaves them thirteenth. Yeah, that Barahino chance, it looked to me like he thought he was going to get clattered and lacked a bit of bravery and just sort of pulled out the header a little bit. It just obviously didn't hit them on the forehead as the header's meant to be. Um, hit him on the top of the head and skewed over the bar. But you do have to take those chances. West Brom set up in that exact way so they, if they get the chance, one chance on the break, they might be able to nick it, perhaps nick a point, perhaps nick all three if they can keep a clean sheet at the other end. But that didn't happen and... It's, the problems are in the final third at the moment they've had the fewest shots of anyone this season joint fewest goals with only 10 all season so that's a real concern for Tony Pulis if there is a positive it's that the the likes of Rondon, Lambert and Berahino have all scored in within their last um, four games obviously Lambert's came from the penalty spot but all three of the strikers have scored but they're not doing enough really in the final third Lambert hasn't hit the ground running he hasn't, he hasn't really made an impact at all at West Brom Rondon he's shown a few flashes of uh, why West Brom's paid so much money for him in recent weeks but still not really justifying the amount they spent on him but, and Berahino as you mentioned hasn't hit the heights of last season yet and that, that mischance against Man United was the perfect example of that but still the 13th in the table I think we're sort of at the stage of the season now where the table's starting to take a bit more recognisable shape you can start looking into it a bit more and You'd, you'd expect them we were expecting them before the season to be a sort of mid-table team and it looks like how it's um, turning out to be the six points clear of the drop zone I'd be surprised if they get dragged into a real relegation battle this season but at the same time they need to improve their home form especially only Villa have got a worse home record you have to say that they've had a few tough matches recently obviously United last week Arsenal this week and then West Ham Tottenham Liverpool so tough fixtures coming up which mean you know they might be dragged towards the relegation zone in the next few weeks but I'd be surprised come towards the end of the season if they if they're not in and around 13th place or perhaps a little higher as they are now yeah so you've got sort of West Brom with you know not a great home record Arsenal the best away record and the other stats you know they all point to an Arsenal win here West Brom haven't beaten Arsenal in their last nine Premier League meetings and Arsenal scored in all 18 Premier League games against West Brom which is the longest scoring record like that against one opposition in Premier League history so everything points to an Arsenal win here do you see it going that way? I do yeah I mean Arsenal they weren't at their best against Tottenham but it's a North London derby you can't really look too much into that so I'm going to go for a fairly comfortable Arsenal win I'm going to go for 2-0 2-0 yeah I'm going I'm to side with you with an Arsenal win there but West Brom, when they've played the big boys at home this season, they've conceded a few goals. You know, they've conceded three to City, three to Chelsea. Everton scored three there. Leicester scored three there. And I think Arsenal will do the same. I'm going to go for a 3-0 Arsenal win. So we're both picking Arsenal to win this one pretty comfortably. OK, moving on to the standout tie of the weekend. is Manchester City versus Liverpool in Saturday's evening kickoff. Pascal will start with the home side. They're still top ahead of Arsenal in goal difference, but only managed a 0-0 draw against Villa last time out. Yeah, that was a disappointing result for them. I know... You know the mood at Villa was a bit lifted because of the new manager Remy Gard being there, but you know City were still the better team and that created far more chances. And it was a missed opportunity to them. They're quite fortunate that Arsenal then you know went on to draw with Spurs later on on that Sunday to you know so they did stay top instead of dropping behind the Gunners. But still, you know there, there was some real missed chances there. I mean the De Bruyne one was the worst of all. It was slightly behind him, but you know he tried to be inventive and use that sort of Cruyff flick in the box when he probably should have just done something more simpler and just you know stuck it in but he, he missed that chance you know Delph came off the bench there was the, all the, the crowd started hissing and then you know there was the, all the plastic snakes with his, his face on them as well so it wasn't a very nice atmosphere when he came on but he was so close to scoring the winner for City at that one with his right foot that just went wide and then another one that Guzan kept out um, Fernando hit the bar you know they did have chances in that game on another day they probably would have won that just you know fairly comfortably 2-0 you know sort of a, 
a league leaders display against one of the bottom sides just as sort of a classic 2-0 win but it wasn't to happen in the end and disappointing they lost Bonnie to injury quite early on in that game as well so he's now doubt for this one and so you know points it's still a point it's alright but they should have they should have certainly won the game it was against you know it was top versus bottom they would expect to win it and they didn't so very disappointing and it's very tight at the top now you know them and Arsenal 26 points Leicester you know they're doing fantastically 25 United 24 so there's only two points separating the top four and then you've got Spurs and West Ham uh, three points further back on 21 so it's all very tight up there and certainly any save City you know if they did go on a sort of a, a bit of a poor run they could certainly you know they could drop out of the top four in no time so it's important for them to you know get back to winning ways yeah certainly two drop points against Villa wasn't it but at the same time they are now unbeaten in nine in all competitions they at least kept the unbeaten run going they never really looked in danger of losing that match they've won seven of those nine as well in all competitions since the 4-1 defeat to Spurs which was a bit of a shock but came in a sort of time when City weren't doing very well and looking forward the signs are encouraging for them they've been without a few key players at various stages of the season they've got a few key players very close to they could return this weekend if not this weekend then they're very close to returning the likes of Aguero the likes of David Silva arguably their two best players have been out for a while now and they could be back this weekend or or in the very near future Vincent Company as well recent injury troubles with him all the arguments with um, Manuel Pellegrini and Mark Vilmots the Belgian manager over his fitness so um, that's those three key players and probably the three the spine of the team the main spine of the team there could be coming back soon so they'll be confident of picking up if Aguero's not fit for this weekend if Bonnie's not fit for this weekend that could leave them a bit short up front Ahir Nacho has looked right when he's come on at times but I wouldn't be surprised if Pellegrini went for more of a, a probably uh, maybe a false nine no recognised striker perhaps Sterling leading the line uh, with Navas and De Bruyne either side or something like that I wouldn't be surprised if he, he held a Hiannaccio back because it is a big game for such a young player but if if, if he does go for Hiannaccio should Aguero and Bonnie not be fit then I think the youngster's shown enough um, signs that he is ready and he, he would be able to give Liverpool, Liverpool a few problems so even though City would be missing their two um, main strikers there are there are other options for them yeah, definitely. I think I I'd agree with you. I think it's more likely that he'd play Sterling, you know, through the middle and then, you know, just try and dominate the ball and you know not not let Liverpool have too much on the counter attack. But you know they f- did fail to score against Villa, very disappointing. But even with that blank, they're still the top scorers in the league. Twenty six league goals they've got in twelve games this season. So still still been firing in the goals. And I think you mentioned Silver there. He's been you know it's been quite a while since we saw Silver play. When he first got injured, it didn't seem quite as serious as it has been. It seems like a long time now since. We saw David Silva playing. He's obviously one of the best players in the league. You know, we all like watching him when he's do, when he's at his best, and it'll be really good to see him back. And like you say, if, if Silva and Aguero can come back, it would just be. I mean, City are already top, and they haven't had those players for the bulk of the season. So that's that's quite a bit of a warning sign for the rest of the league. I think if them two come back fully fit, and if they can stay fit for the rest of the season, you'd certainly say City definitely the favourites to go on and win the league. And they do have the best home record as well, so it's going to be really tough for Liverpool to get anything out of this game. They've got 15 points out of a possible 18 at the Etihad. The only loss they had was uh, the defeat to West Ham, who you know at the time were just beating anyone and everyone away from home. So City looking fairly strong, and I think they will just start this game just as favourites. Yeah, and they're coming up against a Liverpool team who are languishing down in 10th place, despite you know Klopp, he came in, bit of an inauspicious start with three draws but then three victories but then he fell to his first defeat um, in charge of the club at home to Crystal Palace last time out we've spoken in depth about how good Crystal Palace are away from home and you know it wasn't a, a huge surprise certainly not as big a surprise as it might have been in in other in other years Palace have been a bogey team for Liverpool in recent seasons particularly at Anfield always seemed to get some sort of result there and it was no different 
this one was very avoidable for Liverpool though you'd have to say both goals pretty poor defending Balassi's when he lashed a loo- uh, loose ball into the top uh, top of the net Liverpool had a couple of chances to clear that before it fell to Balassi Scott Dan's one Mignolet he pushed it right back out into a danger zone it, it wasn't a howler from him but, but he could have done better he could have pushed it away from danger probably should have pushed it away from danger and there's a little bit of luck about how it bounced back to Dan and then he obviously um, stuck it home for the winner Coutinho again decent performance for him good goal he's starting to find top form now he had a bit of a slow start under Klopp but he's finding a bit of form now which is important for Liverpool and I think Ben Teke as well he's linking up with him quite well he's he's looking like he's in good form as, um, under Klopp he looks very dangerous player um with Sterling could be back uh, it's not Sterling sorry Sturridge could be back for this one which would be a big boost for Liverpool I think he's fit and ready to play apparently but it depends you know whether he, they want to chuck him in right at the deep end straight away so it'll be interesting to see who they start up for this one but they need to bounce back from that Palace defeat it was a disappointing defeat as we say perhaps not the biggest shot but particularly disappointing after away victories against Chelsea and Ruben Kazan and that Ruben Kazan man you, you result you could probably point to as one of the reasons they lost to Chelsea because they put a lot of effort into that one. They were the better team for a long time. They had to be patient. They had to, to grind down the opposition. There was only really one team in it, but they had to work quite hard for the victory in the end. So for, with that one coming on the Thursday and then having to travel all the way back, a long journey to face Crystal Palace on the Sunday, that's going to take it out of the team. So a lot of factors um, into that Palace defeat, but still a disappointing defeat, whichever, whichever way you slice it, really. Yeah, and it leaves them you know, seven points off the top four and... They've got a minus goal difference as well, minus one, only team in the top ten with a minus goal difference. So that's, you know, disappointing and you know the main reason for that is the lack of goals they've scored this year. It's thirteen in twelve games. That's a joint low at this stage of a Premier League season for Liverpool and you know they've got the worst chance conversion rate as well. Ten point five percent of their shots have scored. So it's simply not been good enough. And you mentioned Sturridge there being says he's fit and ready. I, I would be surprised, uh, like you said, if, if he does start this one. I think he might come off the bench and then they maybe bring him back, you know, fully the week after. It'd be, Really important if he comes back for them, but certainly, you know, they have been, you know, unlucky with injuries. Klopp, you know, since he came in, they, they have struggled. You know, you've got the likes of uh, James Milner, Jordan Ibe, who are both out for this one. Then we already know that the likes of, you know, Gomez, Ings, Sacco, Henderson, they're all definitely out. You know, for a good, good few more weeks as well. So he, he has been unlucky on the injury front, and certainly the, the goals is the one thing that has to change. You know, you mentioned Coutinho looking a bit better, Benteke linking, but. You know the simple fact is they haven't scored anywhere near enough goals this season for a you know side of their caliber. You know they should be doing a lot more. And away from home, you know they'll come into. We mentioned that City have got the best home record in the league, but Liverpool have been fairly solid away from home. They've only lost one of their six away games this season, but that was also in Manchester when they you know lost to United in September. So we won't have great memories of just you know making the short trip to Manchester. And it is a really tough game for them this one. I think if I mean if Klopp can you know you know end that. Um, you know, get back to winning ways here against City. It'd be a huge achievement for them, but yeah, very, very tough ask. And which way do you see it going? Um, it's, it's a tough one to call actually. I, I think Liverpool might actually get something from the game. I think City. Well, it, it could really depend on who who's there for City. I think because we don't know yet. You know, if Aguero, Silva, company, if they're if they're all going to be fit. If say if all three of those missed out, Liverpool might have a real chance of getting something from the game. But I think it could be quite a cagey affair, and I'm going to go for one all draw. Yeah, I, I agree with the injury point now. I think Aguero in particular, and Aguero and Bonnie especially, if they're both out, then is a he a natural good enough to actually 
really damaged this Liverpool team and get City the win that they're probably most of their fans would be expecting at home against the Liverpool team who you know they've been in decent form under Klopp but they're not exactly setting the world alight Liverpool do seem to raise their game against Manchester City now and again Coutinho himself has got a fantastic record against them three and four Premier League appearances against Man City so he'll fancy his chances wouldn't be surprised to see Liverpool get something out of the game but if Aguero, Silva and company all are fit I'd probably back a Man City win so I'll go for a 2-1 home victory so we've got one Manchester City victory and a draw. On to Sunday's only fixture now, and it's fifth against sixth as Spurs host West Ham. Barnes, it's another London derby for Spurs after they drew one all with Arsenal last time out. Yeah, not the worst result for them to get at the Emirates Stadium, but you know they've probably come away from that one thinking they could have done better. They could have got all three points. They were the better team probably throughout the, over the course of the ninety minutes. They they created enough chances and eventually got the goal through Harry Kane. It was a good finish from him, a clever finish to bounce it in the into the ground and then up over the training leg of Petacek. Pretty poor defending from Arsenal, you have to say, but Kane finished it off well. He's in decent form now after a slow start to the season, so that's positive for Spurs, but. The goal they conceded Gibbs at the back post, that'd be disappointing. Hugo Lloris will look at himself and think he probably should have kept that one out. So it's disappointing to concede that goal, but it could have been better. It could have also been worse. Giroud had a couple of really good chances towards the end of the match, which you'd expect him to take really good ones in the in the box, rising pretty much unchallenged to headers from close range and missing them. He should have scored one of them. So it could have been worse for Tottenham. They could have come away with nothing, which would have been very harsh. As it was, a draw was was probably quite harsh, but they deserved the victory. But they, I think they'll come away fairly content, having taken a point from the Emirates. It keeps their unbeaten record alive, still unbeaten since the opening day of the season. Now 11 Premier League games, which is a really good record. And they're starting to look like a really solid outfit throughout. Yeah, definitely. I think the difference in that game, you know, their, their record against Arsenal, especially away from home in sort of the recent years, is, isn't very good at all. But they... They just look like the better team, you know. I know Arsenal are still above them in the table, but I think the difference was just that, you know, they did sort of control the game, which is so different to recent games against Arsenal. Because whenever they have beaten them in recent years, it tends to be more sort of smash and grab kind of jobs. But they did look excellent there, and it's their young core. You know, they've got such a long, uh, a young starting eleven this season, and those players, you know, especially the English players, you know, Eric Dyer, uh, Deli Ali, Harry Kane, they really impressed for England. You know. Uh, over the international break, all three of them started uh, against France in the second friendly, and obviously Ali, especially, was the standout player with that stunning, you know, first international goal. It took a, the tiniest deflection; it took off Laurent Koscielny, but it was probably still going into the top corner anyway. It was a fabulous hit, and you know, Dyer looked very composed. I mean, I'm still not convinced he's a quite an, uh, an international player yet, but he's very, very composed in the middle. Looks solid, Kane. You know, it's against you know in in the game against Spain, he didn't really have much to do at all up there. But he, I think he does a really good job holding the ball. I think that's one thing that he's really improved on in sort of the last sort of year or so. His hold up play with his back to goal, they're looking really excellent. And yeah, but the way Pochettino's building this team, it's got a very young core, and you know the defense is very solid. You know, you got Alderweireld and Vertonghen looking very good at the back there. You know, Lloris is you know you probably say one of the better goalkeepers in the country. So it, it, I think it all looks really good for Spurs. And you look at where. That left them in the table, that draw. They're only five points off the top because obviously Arsenal, who they got a point off, and then City also draw. Only three off the top four. It's their third best ever start to a Premier League season. And in the other two years where they've got more than this season, they've managed to get into the top four. And I think that the top four has to really be their you know, realistic target this season because with Chelsea doing as badly as they are, Chelsea probably look out of the running for a top four place as it is unless they put together an incredible run of form. But Liverpool are a bit behind the pace of Spurs. And then you'd probably say City, Arsenal... United haven't been all that convincing, but you'd expect probably those three to be the top three and then that last place. I think at the moment, Spurs are the favourite to get that, that fourth place. And if they can do that with such a young team, you know, built around such young players, it would be a really impressive uh, achievement for them. 
Yeah, they're certainly look, looking a lot more formidable than they have in recent years. And I would say this is their best chance to get into the top four since the last time they did get into the top four when Gareth Bale was obviously starting to burst onto the scene. So it is looking encouraging signs for Spurs in the immediate future. They've got a very big week coming up. Obviously, this is a huge match, Spurs and West Ham, big rivals. Um, they've got, obviously, having played Arsenal just before the international break, they then got a third uh, domestic London derby in a row with Chelsea after the match and they're big rivals as well, so it's a big domestic week. And in between this uh, this weekend's match and the the home game against Chelsea, they've got a trip to Azerbaijan to play Karabag as well. That's not going to be easy. It's going to be a tough tough journey for them. And you know, Europa League games like that can always take something out of the team. So it'll be interesting to see how they cope with that, particularly such a young team, and particularly with some of those young players, the likes of Eric Dyer and Dele Ali you mentioned earlier. They wouldn't have been used to during the international break going off and playing a couple of games as well and then coming back to the club not really getting a rest two games in the space of four days I think it was for them so they haven't really got a rest it's going to be interesting to see how they deal with that but you're back against most teams at home at the moment they're still unbeaten at home in the Premier League they've conceded only two goals in the last five games only lost two of the last 19 and three of their next four games including this weekend including the match against Chelsea are at home then they've got I think it's Newcastle at home in the in the third one um, out of them so the fancy their chances are picking up some points there as we mentioned Chelsea they're in poor form so Tottenham will really consider that game a, a winnable encounter more so than in recent years this one against West Ham we're going to talk about their away record a bit later it's a bit of a tricky one but the form they're in they'll fancy their chance of beating anyone at the moment yeah absolutely in West Ham I think Spurs will start fairly heavy favourites in this one I think because they, like we said they have looked really good of late and West Ham dropped to sixth in recent weeks you know they had such they had, they were, had a brilliant record after 10 games I think they were sitting third after 10 games but it's only one point uh, out of six in their last two. They lost 2-0 against Watford and then last time out uh, before the international break a one-all draw uh, at home to Everton which I think certainly it probably ended up a fair a, a fair result but you know, West Ham they did you know at home in a game like that they, if they really have sort of top six ambitions the sort of games they want to be winning and you know, they did take the lead in that one Lanzini was a great curled finish right into the far corner really excellent goal from them but then they did I think uh, Bilic will be a little unhappy at the way they conceded the goal. You have to cre- give full credit, I think, to Delafay. It was a tremendous through ball. It was perfectly weighted through to Lukaku, and he coolly uh, took it round Adria and then uh, slotted it home. So, I mean, but the problem was in that game, of course, you know, it was a you know one-all draw against Everton. It's a decent result, but the big news coming out of it was um, the Pia injury, wasn't it? You know, three months out, I think. Now, I don't think he needs to have surgery, but it's still expected to be out for around three months. And it was a real crunching tackle from James McCarthy, but. I think it was a it was a fair tackle at the same time. It's just one of those where, you know, Pai was just a bit unlucky the way the contact happened and it's obviously really damaged his ankle. But for him now to be missing for three months, that is just massive loss for West Ham because he he he'd been involved in thirty five percent of their goals with goals and assists. He's been an absolute star, one of the Premier League's best players since since coming to the league this summer. He was a fantastic signing for West Ham and for him to now be out for three months is a real big blow for them and they'll need other players to step up now, but to lose him like that it will really really hurt West Ham I think yeah it will be a huge concern as you say it is now up to other players they need to fill that void because it's still West Ham's best ever start to a Premier League season after 12 games 21 points up in 6th in the table they've made a fantastic start to the season what they can't afford now is for all that hard work to be undone because they've lost Payet who has been their standout player he hasn't been the only player who's been impressive for West Ham so far this season but he has been the standout I've been particularly impressed with Lanzini obviously scored against Everton he's been really good in the last couple of weeks and I think he could be the sort of player who takes over some of the creative mantle that's going to be left by Payet but it's going to be difficult to West Ham to 
to reach the same sort of levels when they are missing who are the player who has been their best player so far this season. Away from home, though, I, I mentioned it earlier, alluded to it uh, briefly, they have been so good so far this season. Only Arsenal have a better away record than them so far this season. And against big teams, they tend to do even better than they do against the smaller teams because they don't get as much of the ball and they're good on the counter-attack. Slam and Bilic sets them up well. They've got wins against Arsenal, Liverpool and Man City. That was in their first three away games of the season. So, you know, a trip to White Hart Lane, even with Tottenham's form, is not going to hold any fear for West Ham at all. They'll fancy their chances, just as Tottenham will, of coming away with this with three points. So which way do you see it going then? It is a difficult one, isn't it? Tottenham, they played very well against Arsenal and they're playing well in most of their games so far. West Ham, away from home, you can never write them off against one of the big teams. But uh, I think I'm I'm going to sit on the fence with this one. I think I'm going to go for a draw. I can see a few goals. I'm going to go for two all, I think. So, yeah, I was, I was just thinking that. I was thinking about a draw, but then... I just think about the Pie thing. I think he's going to be such a big blow to lose him. He in in some of those games, he's just sort of created things all on his own, and he's been a real difference maker for them. Like I think without him there, uh, you know, the, the the mood around Spurs at the moment seems really good, and especially the way you know, especially Deli Ali, he played for England and that goal. I think they, I think Spurs should come into this full of confidence, and I'm I'm going to back them to edge it two one. So you've got one draw and a Spurs win. Okay, the final game of the weekend comes at Selhurst Park on Monday night with Crystal Palace hosting Sunderland. Start with the home side, Pascal. They can sign Liverpool to their first defeat under Jurgen Klopp last time out. Yeah, impressive victory that. And that's, you know, after three defeats in a row, it's four points out of six from their last two games against Manchester United and Liverpool. So, really impressive total because they sort of, they seem to fall off a bit, but they're now back up to eighth in the table, looking fairly solid there. And yeah, you have to say the win over Liverpool, one of their most impressive of the season because... Like I say, you know, Klopp hadn't lost as Liverpool boss going into that game, but I think certainly Liverpool might have been affected by their efforts in midweek in Kazan. They put, I was watching that game, they were just running after the ball, putting so much effort into chasing the ball down. You know, obviously that was away in Russia, only three days before as well, so perhaps a bit tired. They, Liverpool had a lot of injuries as well, so they couldn't, you know, make too many changes. And I wasn't too surprised to see Palace come away with the win, to be honest, because, you know, they, they have had some really impressive away results this season as well. But the game itself, you know, Yannick Balassi got the first goal. It was a great finish from him. I think certainly Liverpool could have uh, dealt with the danger a bit better, but he lashed that in with his left foot. Shows he's got two good feet. I think they'll be disappointed with the goal they conceded. It was a bit sloppy, and then obviously the ball just breaking into Coutinho at the back post. I think the defenders could have been a bit more alert there, but Coutinho stuck it away quite well. And then second half, you know, it was fairly even, I thought. I think Palace, it looked like it was going to peter out towards the draw, but then Scott Dan came up with the goal, and a win for them so really really impressive like I said and for them to only concede one goal against United and Liverpool in their last two games four points as well like I mentioned really really impressive yeah it has been a bit of a tricky run for them in addition to United and Liverpool they played West Ham and Leicester in the in the previous two Premier League games and while not two of the biggest names in the league they're two of the informed teams in the league made really good starts this season then of course they're on the end of a heavy defeat to Man City in the League Cup so to get to have got four points from six against the likes of United and Liverpool really good run um, really good run of form to, to get themselves back on track and the good thing for them now is they've got Sunderland this weekend and then Newcastle there's two of the bottom four in their next two games and they'll expect more points probably maximum points on those games Sunderland and Newcastle both improved a bit of late Newcastle particularly looking a little bit better now so it's not as good a time to play them now as it was perhaps a few weeks ago but they'll still be expecting a victory from that match 19 points from 12 games is their best ever start to a Premier League season as well so they've got to be pretty happy with where they're at now I think um, they're, they're looking pretty safe bet to get top half as we expected they might do before the season whether a European push is maybe slightly beyond them we'll wait and see but for now things are looking good for Alan Pardew 
Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned the European thing there. If they get two wins, could put them right near the top four because you mentioned their next two games both at home against Sunderland and Newcastle. So if they did get six out of six, they could be right up near the top four, you know, depending on results elsewhere. They're currently five points behind there, only two points off the top six. So, you know, if, if results go their way the next couple of weeks and other teams, you know, just above them drop points, they could move into the top six, which would be obviously very, very impressive given, you know, a team like Crystal Palace and considering where they were, you know, a year ago, Pardew, he has done a fantastic job. But, you know, we've mentioned that their away form, you know, that they're usually much better away from home and they've only won one of their last 10 league games at Selhurst Park. So even though we sort of earmarked, you know, you got two of the bottom four at home here, Sunderland and Newcastle in the next two games, if anything, they'd probably prefer to play them away from home. So it's the sort of thing they need to turn around if they're going to be a serious sort of perhaps a top six, top seven contender because one in 10 at home in the league simply isn't good enough. And the fans will be demanding more because, you know, only a few thousand can go to every away game but those you know 20 odd thousand that turn up each week at Selhurst Park they want to see more wins and certainly Sunderland and Newcastle the next two is a very good chance to deliver some yeah and Sunderland they're not in good form coming into this match but it has been a bit of a mixed bag under Sam Allardyce so far we we expected him to tighten things up at the back and certainly two of the games they've only conceded one goal one of the games they conceded uh, they kept a clean sheet the other game obviously they conceded six against Everton so it has been a bit of a mixed bag. The one win they have had, 3-0 against Newcastle, looks very convincing on paper, but it was far from convincing in reality. They were second best by a long way in the first half of that match until, obviously, Colaccini got that controversial red card and then finally Sunderland got the, the goals, um, got one goal just before the break and through the penalty and then two more in the second half, which, you know, skewed the, skewed the scoreline a bit. They didn't deserve to win by three goals. Arguably didn't deserve to win at all in that match. So that was, that was, not as convincing as it looked and at the other end of the spectrum though you got the 1-0 defeat to West Brom which could have gone the other way the 1-0 defeat to Southampton you'd say they deserved to lose that match but they defended a lot better particularly than they had against Everton and the defence has been the biggest problem throughout the season there's been some absolute calamity moments but they were a lot lot better against Southampton they, they were very stout in defence which we haven't been used to seeing from them this season there was again that one lapse though as the individual mistakes which have cost them so much this season that came from Jan and Via with the reckless challenge for the penalty which was it was just stupid from him after defended so well against Southampton held them at bay for so long to just dive into a, a needless challenge because Bertram was going out off the pitch anyway it was a stupid challenge from him just gifted Southampton the win they Southampton did deserve the win but you know you don't want to gift it to them especially when you're in Sunderland's predicament at the moment so it has been a mixed bag but ultimately the the, the record reads three defeats in four under Allardyce and he's going to need to vastly improve that if he's going to keep him in the division yeah, and I mentioned earlier that Palace, you know, haven't been great at home this season, but Sunderland they've got the worst away record in the league. So, you know, they've only got one point from six games, and that was a two-all draw against the only side that are below them in the table, Aston Villa. So they've been really, really poor on the road this season. The win you mentioned against Newcastle was their only victory in their last fifteen Premier League games, if you uh, include the three at the end of last season, draw on five, lost nine of those games. So. The form book doesn't read well at all for Sunderland. You know, they're only being kept off the bottom by Villa, who had lost seven in a row uh, before they got that draw against City um, last time out. So it's been really, really poor from Sunderland. And I think it'll be interesting to see who Allardyce goes for in the January transfer window because he's surely going to try and make some signings. He's only just recently been appointed, obviously, and he's going to want to try and have his input on the club in terms of players and you know the, the likes of sort of you know maybe Kevin Nolan come in. He'd be he's you know he's a little bit past Kevin. I'd be surprised if he had too much of an impact, but. Be interesting to see who else they go with. We talked about maybe Charlie Austin being linked with another of the Premier League strugglers in Aston Villa, but I could see him. To be honest, I think Charlie Austin, 
I mean, I think sort of maybe a bottom half Premier League side would be more suited to. But if if Sunderland were to go for him, I think he'd be a very good appointment because you know Sunderland strikers haven't really been that consistent this season. You know, they have the odd moment here and there, but they haven't looked all that convincing. So it'd be very interesting to see who they sign. I think and. I think those kind of clubs that I've talked about, you know, we've already said that Bournemouth might spend money, Sunderland, uh, Newcastle. I think they've, they've they've already spent quite a bit. In Newcastle, I'm not sure they need to spend as much. In Newcastle, I think they've probably got the best squad of the ones of the teams down at the bottom. But the likes of Villa, Sunderland, Bournemouth, the current bottom three, I think it'd be really interesting to see who they go for in January. And moving to this weekend, which way do you see the match going? I think it is a difficult one to call because, like we've said about Palace, haven't been anywhere near as good at home away from home, but then. At the same time, Sunderland, you know, haven't been, you know, that like I said, they've got the worst away record. So I think it's a very tough game to call. I think Palace will obviously start the game as favourites, given you know their two good, uh, good recent results. But I'm going to back a draw here. I think Sunderland might get something over for a two-two draw. Yeah, I, I find it difficult to back Sunderland at the moment. I know they the performance was better against Southampton defensively. They were tougher to break down, but they were still comfortably second best in that match, and they have been comfortably second best in the majority of their matches. Even that win against Newcastle, they were, as I mentioned, second best for the first half until they were playing against 10 men. So I can't really see them getting anything out of this match either. Palace, as you mentioned, their home form isn't great, but they should be able to have enough about them to get a win out of this one. I'm going to go for a 2-0 Crystal Palace victory. So we've got one home victory and a draw in this one. Okay, that's all 10 games wrapped up for this weekend. Thanks for listening and head to sportsmore.co.uk for live coverage of every single game, plus reaction, analysis and player ratings. We'll be back next weekend when Tottenham Hotspur versus Chelsea headlines the bill. So we'll see you then. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 